0: Welcome to the Libraries Open Podcast, the official podcast of Bywater Solutions, where we discuss all things libraries and open source. Today, our special guests are Christopher Brandon and George Williams. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Libraries Open Podcast, where I have some very special guests today. You may recognize them from the every other thursday terrific it's a tongue twister the terrific every other thursday videos it is christopher Brannon and george williams welcome y'all
1: hello hello
0: i
2: suppose i should say i'm george (laughs) that would
1: make me christopher
0: excellent thank you for clarifying we are so (laughs) excited to have you on today because uh, there's some very exciting things going on in the Koha world, obviously. So we're, we're going to get into that. But uh, first, just because everybody likes to get to know our guests, I'm going to ask you both a little bit about your uh, your foray into the library world. How did you both get into libraries? And I will start with you, George.
2: Well, uh, I used to be a bus driver. So that's, that's, that's the short version. <laughs> so... Uh... My dad died when I was about 19 or 20 and I dropped out of college and I ended up doing a bunch of weird different jobs uh, for about uh, six or seven years and and the last one and one that I had for the longest time is I worked for this uh, transportation company was airport shuttle taxi and buses. And uh, I was... I'd I'd gotten married and I'd gotten to this point in my life where I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I I knew that I didn't want to be driving a bus every day, uh, so I decided to go back to college. And we ended up uh, my I so I went back to college right when my wife graduated, and we ended up moving to Boise for a job for her, and I went to Boise State, and I uh, applied for financial aid, and uh, they gave me a work study money, and I ended up working at the library. And then uh, a while later, I ended up at Boise Public Library just as a shelver, and uh, one day I casually mentioned to uh, the circulation supervisor, Laurel White, I said, oh yeah, I've got a Class B commercial driver's license, and she kind of grabbed me by the neck and stuck me on the bookmobile, and uh, I ended up being the full-time bookmobile driver there for about four years. Um, And that was kind of it, you know, it was, it was a great, you know, there are a lot of great things about libraries. Um, I like working with Koha. I like working in circulation. I even like doing reference work, Um, but nothing compares to driving a bookmobile and going out. And, you know, when you're on the bookmobile and you go to a, a stop, you know, every, every Wednesday you're at the same spot and you are the library for all of the people that come to the bookmobile. And, uh, at Christmas time there is so much free baked goods. Uh, you know, uh, driving the bookmobile was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. And, uh, and then I ended up uh, from there, it just, you know, that ended up being what I wanted to do. So, so that's, How I got to Koha is, is another long story, but, uh, but uh, that's how I started in libraries was, you know, work-study led me to the bookmobile and, and it wouldn't have happened if uh, I hadn't had been a bus driver. So how many years have you been in the library now? Uh, That first work-study job that was in 1996. So it's been a while. Wow. And it was about four years before that. You know, I drove from Moscow, Idaho to Spokane, Washington five days a week for about four and a half years. Um, and Christopher knows what that road's like. It's, you know, if you do it every day for four and a half years, uh that's a lot of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful nothing. I mean, it's just rolling hills and there's a couple towns you go through, but uh but uh, you know it's grain fields and uh, and you know Pullman Wash. You go from Moscow to Pullman, uh, so you start at the University of Idaho. You go through Washington State University, and then you go through Colfax, and then you're in Spokane. So it's really kind of a letdown. You know, each step of the way is kind of uh, uh, someplace less enjoyable.
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory from that time of being a bookmobile operator?
2: Um. I have a lot of, there, there are so many good memories. I have a, a picture somewhere of uh, uh, my wife pushing our daughter, who was probably a year old at the time, in the stroller, and my boss, uh, and a couple of volunteers for the bookmobile, uh, all of us going down the road in the 4th of July parade in Boise. That was a really fun activity. And I just, I have a lot of good memories from from driving the bookmobiles. so.
0: That's so awesome. I have a soft spot for bookmobiles because that was my first library experience as a kid. So I just think it's such a great way to bring it to the community and make it more accessible. So that's, that's yeah. awesome. Thank you for, for doing that for so <laughs> long. <laughs> Some treacherous roads, it sounds like. And all right, well then with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Christopher. Why don't you tell us about your your journey into the library
1: world? Um, mine isn't as impressive. Uh, <laughs> I uh, um had been transitioning uh from uh one job uh to a temporary job back in two thousand three, and uh, yeah, my longest job at the, at the time had been nine years. I had to stop that, and I had to move completely out of town, and so my my temporary job before the library was working the graveyard shift on the freight team for Home Depot. That was fun, really out of my element. But uh, I didn't want to stay there. I'd been there for six months total. But um, during that time, I decided I was going to put in some applications elsewhere to see if there was something better because I was of no use to my family (laughs) during that time. So um, I stopped at the local library and was putting in applications online. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to, well, they, they've got computers here and I have computer skills. So I thought I'd leave a, a resume and yeah, they weren't looking for anybody at the time. Um, I don't know how long it was later, but uh, eventually the, um, the, I don't know what her title was, but uh, a gal at the library uh, reached out to me and actually uh, was interested in in interviewing me for the position that they were trying to turn around. So um, they brought me in. I did an interview uh, and got the job. I was excited about it and couldn't quit Home Depot fast enough, but uh, um Yeah, and unfortunately, all those people that were part of the interview are no longer here at the library. It's been, in fact, today, we just, I just had my evaluation for my 20th year. I'm I'm now uh, 20 years into this job, and um, yeah, I I love it just as much as the day that I started. Uh, The job is nothing like what it was when I first signed on, and and. Yeah, I I love it. I, you know, I just went to Hawaii and I was disappointed that their libraries didn't have Koha because it's like, you know, that would be the only thing that would uh, say to me, oh, I could get in a library over there and I would have the best of both worlds. But no, I'm staying here because I like my job here. so.
2: So they don't have Koha, but they still call it paradise. There's a disconnect there.
1: They, they need to be convinced.
0: Yeah, maybe one day we can dream, right? <laughs> well, that is an equally impressive journey into the library world. Thank you for sharing that. And I always think it's interesting when people have, you know, such diverse backgrounds. And I think, you know, especially coming from a retail environment, it gives you a unique perspective when you start working in libraries, because I've worked at bookstores and restaurants. And so I don't know, I think it just gives you that unique perspective. And I still shop at Home Depot all the time to this day. So it's,
1: it's, not, it's not even my my background in, uh, uh, in education because uh, my my degree is in music education.
0: Oh wow!
1: <laughs> I really uh, took a another path after I did teach uh, for for nine years, but not in music, uh, surprisingly. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Do you what, what's your favorite instrument or your special? Well,
1: the instrument I played was trombone. Oh, but uh, I could I could play uh, most of the instruments in in the band, but uh, uh, you no, know, trombone was mine. I, I did. I started off on on piano, and I couldn't stand that.
0: That's so cool. Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be amazed to learn that <laughs> you're a trombone aficionado well, well uh
2: it's weird too at uh, at the koha conference in monterey which was what that was like uh 2016 you know christopher plays the trombone i played the baritone horn and the tuba but i but i also played the trombone and i think we figured i think brendan uh from the, I, I think he's from a library in New York he plays the trombone we figured out that we had four people that all played the trombone so we were I said we should try and do a quartet at the next conference but it's never worked out
0: <laughs> man yeah y'all, y'all gotta make that happen one day we need the huh. the Koha brass band <laughs> to be yeah, like- I don't
2: remember who the I, I remember it was you me and Brendan and somebody else uh, all played the trombone, but I don't remember who, it all, who else there was. Been a while. Yeah, it's been a while since we that. That, that must 2016. So that was seven years ago. Wow,
0: well, it's not too late to dream. It could still happen one day. I'm sure there's more people that have joined the library world that are trombone players. You could we get a band going. But speaking of open source and all things Koha, could you each tell us a little bit about how specifically you got involved in the world of Koha and maybe some of the roles you've taken on with Koha US in the past few years and what that that has looked like for you?
1: We actually jumped into this together, sort of. Uh, we were both uh, part of a larger consortium in our, in our region. Um, their, their consortium, our consortium was part of a grander consortium based out of a, a university we were uh well and this is when uh you know i've
2: since moved on to a different job this was when i was working at the Laytaw county library district uh, in moscow idaho and i'm in uh lawrence kansas now at northeast kansas library system so right but so that, so that was in what was that that was 2000 2012 That's yeah when 2012 when grade. uh the Valnet Consortium migrated to Koha, and, and Christopher's Consortium, uh, CIN Cooperative Information Network, migrated to Koha.
1: Yeah, I don't. You know, in fact, I don't know. I can't remember uh, what transpired to get you guys on board with Koha because I know I had done the research for our our consortium, and we decided uh, that Koha was the direction that we wanted to go. But it was
2: what convinced you guys for ValNet, it was 90% of it was money. Because at the time, the the, at the time there was a consortium, and I think that they still exist, but uh, the Washington Idaho Network and included Gonzaga University and the Spokane Falls Community Colleges and Whitworth and uh, the North Idaho Academic Libraries and CIN and ValNet. And we were all using uh, the same ILS. And it was administered by the Washington Idaho Network, which was headquartered at uh, Gonzaga University. And the price of that software kept going up. It was a proprietary system. And I don't like to name it because it's like Voldemort in the Harry Potter books. It was something I was never happy with. And it wasn't really built for public libraries. And it didn't do what we wanted it to do when it was it was just a pain to work with,
1: and we... And when it went down, it was down for days.
2: Yeah. Um, when, when, it, when it was time to do an upgrade, it, it took three days to do a software upgrade. Uh, yeah, you've got a look of shock, but, you know, that was, that was typical uh, because part of the issue was that this, this big consortium, the Washington-Idaho Network of Libraries, was uh it it was a financial strain on everybody to work with this software and they were paying for the base the base level of of customer support and so to do an upgrade we would uh washington idaho network would coordinate with the headquarters in chicago and so it was pacific time on on our end and it was central time on the chicago end And so they would say, we're gonna do an upgrade. So we'll start, you know, the people in Chicago were ready to go at eight in the morning on a Tuesday to do an upgrade. Well, the people in at Gonzaga that had to manage that they didn't get to work until eight o'clock Pacific time. So it'd go, the upgrade would go from 10 until noon. And then the people in Chicago would take a lunch break and all work would stop. And then uh, it would go on for like another hour or so. And then it'd be time for the people in Spokane to take a lunch break. And then they'd come back from lunch. They worked for another hour. And then the people in Chicago would go, well, it's time for us to go home. And so there'd only be like about four hours worth of work done on the upgrade. And, and it was a lot of moving parts. And and uh, and so it took them three days to to get all the work done. Usually about halfway through Thursday, they'd call us up and say, we're good to go now, um, but um it was but it was the bottom line, I know uh, at the time was it a lot of it had to do with money because uh, the the price of this software that everybody in ValNet hated was going up and up and up. And we'd actually the Valnet consortium, when I started working at Lataw County Library District in two thousand and six, Valnet had fifty two members. And by the time we migrated, we had 49 members because some of the members couldn't afford to pay the licensing fee for the software. That's why they dropped out was because it was financially, um, it it kept going up, and there was no way they could stay in. And the Valnet directors kind of said, you know, if we keep using this software, we're we're going to go from being a consortium that had been together since the 1980s um, to being a bunch of separate libraries again, and and Koha, the cost of Koha is what made that possible to 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 keep
1: it together. And then there was the fun fact that they were going to charge us to get all our yeah. data. <laughs> yes. So we ended up writing reports and extracting all that stuff ourselves. Yes, the- at the time,
2: uh, you know, in 2012, Ruth Babasett worked for Bywater. And she was the migration's lead. And so Ruth would call me on the phone and say, I'm sending you an email that has a report in it. Run that and then put the data in Dropbox and I'll look at it and call you back. And so I would run the report and she would call me back and say, OK, we're going to change this line in the SQL and then run it again and put it in Dropbox and then I'll call you back. And so we did that for about three months until we had all the queries right so that we didn't have to pay. It was going to cost the company that managed this software wanted to charge us $10,000 just for the bibliographic data, just to do an extract. And the extract was going to happen months before before the migration. So it wasn't going to be clean, fresh data. It was going to be data that was old. Um and it and it was and that was all it was going to be it was going to be bibliographic and item data. It wasn't gonna have any patron data, it wasn't gonna have any holds, it wasn't gonna have any current checkouts, it was just gonna be the mark data. And it was gonna cost us ten thousand dollars. And instead, we just did it all with uh, Microsoft Access.
0: <laughs> ingenuity right there. Yeah. <laughs> Um. All right. Well, that was a lot. Now, for the sake of time, I'm I'm going to jump into something really quick, but it is still related to Koha, but Christopher's background has reminded me of this. So explore the possibilities. That is the theme of the... He <laughs> can do his little Vanna White thing. That is the theme of, <laughs> of the Koha US conference next week. So could you maybe talk a little more about bit about that? And by the time people will be listening to this, it will be the week of so i know there's some online participation options but just tell us a little bit more about what people can expect what's going on um anything you want to talk about
1: yeah so we're in portsmouth uh new hampshire uh from uh, september 20th uh, through the 23rd and uh really excited to to be there um that's an area of the country that we hadn't uh, uh explored yet and um you know we we have a a great turnout. I'm really excited because we ha- you know when we have done our hybrid conferences in the past I don't know I don't think that we've had the turnout that we had we have now except for when we did the joint COHA Con uh last year and we expected bigger numbers with that but for this to be just ourselves you know we've got uh over 250 people uh registered for this conference we've got 67 that are going to be there uh in person uh we're really excited we have some great presentations uh we're really uh we've really diversified the uh the presentations and we're you know we've we've tried tried to hone these presentations over the years to get away from some of the the, the comforts that, that people are used to with their presentations. We're trying to branch people out. Um, So, uh, you know, we've, we've pushed, I've helped the group push uh, for themes. I feel like the themes for conferences help people and inspire people with, with their presentations. And I think we have a, a a great batch of uh, presentations this year. In fact, I've got, I'm on (laughs) the, uh, the docket for uh a couple uh on my own and then i'm working with george on one and then uh is that I, next week yes it is <laughs> so you know um I, I i feel like uh uh this year we're we're trying to um well i think any year we're trying to to expand people's uh uh horizon on on koha uh, help them to uh branch out of their comfort zones and uh, learn some new things. Uh we're we're trying to hone some of our presentations for for newcomers because we wanted to really be able to be a place uh, for onboarding uh people that are new to Koha because you know what Koha US uh, is, is is a hub for everybody to learn more we want we want to make sure that all the resources we're pointing people to all the, the the good resources for koha us whether you're starting out or doing more advanced things so you know we we try to cater to both worlds you know the, those that are trying to understand what koha can do and accomplish but also where we can go beyond out of the box so george you have anything to add?
2: Um. I would just say that uh, the most important thing about Koha, the thing that I like the most about Koha, as much as I like the software, it's the community. Um, the Koha community is what makes Koha great. So, um, being able to you know go and actually talk to the other people that are using Koha and be in the same room with them is a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun, and you learn a lot. Uh, at the CoHA conferences, whether it's the CoHA US conference or the international conference, uh, there's a lot to be learned. And but, but as much as there is to be learned, as, and as great as the software is, just meeting the other people that are using it—that everybody's working towards the same goals usually. Um, that's, um, I think, the biggest and most important part of the CoHA conference is just meeting the other people in the
1: community that actually touches on, you know, something I was planning to say there, and I can say here too, uh, is that, you know, Koha, you know, itself really isn't the software. Um, Koha is just the end result of this community coming together and, and uh, working on an idea to uh, bring about better software for the library. And, you know, so you see the result of what koha is but koha isn't the code in my opinion koha is this community so
0: that was beautiful i always say this in every episode somebody always gives me all the feels and both of you just gave me all the feels with that i mean it really is about the community i love that that should be a shirt not the code the community i think we're gonna we're gonna brand that yeah so on koha us's thread
1: copyright christopher mcdonald (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, copyright Christopher ran in two thousand twenty three.
1: Yeah, of all
2: the Koha things, that's the one you want to copyright. You know.
0: Yeah, you should copyright yeah. that right now before Bywater steals it.
2: <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> oh, no, thank you both so much. That I think that's really going to get people pumped up about this, and maybe raise some awareness for future conferences and other events that are going on um and then just real quick before we close it out um how can people follow you and your terrific every other thursday videos and all that fun stuff
1: um we uh share our videos on our website at koha-us.org uh, uh, you can find our videos there and i, I believe those are under the learn uh menu yeah Um, if you go
2: to koha-us.org and click on there's a drop down that says learn and then there's one that says video playlists
1: but i think you can also find them another way right yes if you go to youtube.com slash koha us with no hyphen uh, you'll find uh, all the videos for koha us and we have a playlist specific to our videos and you can subscribe to that uh, playlist so you get notified anytime we uh, update the site. In fact, um, we will be streaming our conference uh, from that channel as well. So uh, the folks that are online will uh, mostly uh, participate through those streams that are going to be available. Cool.
0: Awesome. That's so two great ways to get plugged in and yeah, we look forward to, I will not be in New Hampshire, so I will be streaming in as well. So looking forward to that, but yeah, there's so many great reads. I'm just looking at the YouTube channel. I've never really fully looked at this and there's a lot here.
2: Virtually every meeting that Koha U.S. holds, uh, whether it's a special interest group, like the, you know, there's a circulation group that meets monthly. There's a cataloging group that meets monthly, but almost all of those, uh, Meetings are recorded and saved on the YouTube channel. The Koha US, um, the first time we did uh, that, we did uh, a video uh, like an online component to our conference. Was there was uh, there were recordings made of the conference in Coeur d'Alene at your library in in uh, 2017. But we've gotten better at it. But uh, all the way from 2017 on, you can see the recordings of
1: of all of our conferences from the past. Uh, and surprisingly enough, uh, if it is it isn't the presentations or hosting or any of that stuff that, that stresses me out. It's the hybrid part of it, Street, <laughs> trying to coordinate that and stream it. That's what has me nervous about these, these conferences. But uh, I love these conferences. I, I mean... I look forward to them every single year.
0: So awesome. well we are we're really looking forward to this one and can't wait to see what everybody presents and all the pictures and fun stuff from that. So once again, I just want to say thank you both so much for joining us today on the library's open podcast and uh, we'll make sure to share all those links that you shared in the description and all that. So thanks again. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. For more information, please visit librariesopen.com.